So how many of you remember what book we were studying in November? Don't look at the screen. Close your eyes and answer that question. Um, Yeah, right. We've been in Romans. Um, Some of you, if you've been with us for a while, think that might be the only book that's in the Bible. We've been in it so long. Um, I I remember at the conclusion of our last study, clear back in November, I mean, this was last year, um, someone came up to me after my sermon and they said, why did you stop where you stopped? Because they were reading through the text while I was preaching and they're like, it's basically the same thing said again. And I said, well, it's good to repeat. And I knew that we were going to be taking a four or five week break, not knowing it was going to be longer. And so now we're going to look at this text again. And, and maybe you'll be like, oh, right, I remember that. And, and, and it will encourage you and, 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 and challenge you. I, I would say this. Um, Anytime God repeats himself in scripture, that's an important thing. Those are the listen up kind of moments. And so in Romans 14, really the whole chapter, it's one big lesson on one uh, spiritual um, issue that, that Paul wants to teach us and teach the church in Rome. Paul borrows from Jesus himself who repeated himself, and and so we're we're kind of following in those steps as we're listening as the student opening the Word of God uh, to hear um, what is so important about this issue in the spiritual life. And, and from clear back in November, we know that the spiritual issue is Christian liberty. Um, but that, that whole issue of Christian liberty is a theological uh, concept that is often misunderstood and abused. And that's what Paul was addressing this morning. He, he's kind of addressing to the church in Rome that we're not always going to agree on everything. And, and sometimes what we uh, disagree on, it, it, it's not because it's a right or wrong thing. And so we need to understand what God is saying about what his word declares and how it applies to our lives and what it means for us. But also in the areas where God may be silent on. Or maybe uh, someone has a stronger view on something that isn't so clear in scripture we need to understand how we should relate to each other how we should care for each other in these moments and so as we look at this concept of christian liberty it's really a a, an important thing for us in the church family like as we relate to each other remember paul is writing a letter to a church just like ours he's writing to people that have different backgrounds just like us different struggles just like us And as we walk through these pages and and, and we hear these words about the principles of conscience, the things that should guide us as we come together as God's people, we need to remember that when it concerns Christian liberty, we're not always going to be on the same page about everything. And so what do we do about that? How do we relate to each other? And so said another way, when we talk about Christian liberty, and I know this is a long quote, but I thought it was really profound. Um... Not each and every issue that a disciple of Jesus might deal with is dealt with in Scripture or a principle dealt with in Scripture. So not everything that is going through your mind, right? How should I do this? What should I say? What should I do? How should I react? It's not always dealt with in Scripture. There are certain matters that are up to the conscience before the Holy Spirit. 
The Christian has the liberty to seek the Lord for themselves and come to their own conclusions and to stand firm in those convictions all the while respecting their brother or sister who may come to a different conclusion. Understanding that the Holy Spirit may speak differently to another believer about a certain issue. Now, do you see something important there when it concerns Christian liberty? I know it's a really wordy statement, but it's this. Um, that we would respect our brother and sister when we disagree. That's an important thing. You know, because sometimes we lose that. We lose that uh, awareness that people aren't going to always believe like we believe on every single thing. And it causes us to doubt or It causes concern in us about maybe that person. Or maybe even for us. Remember, in Romans 14, Paul has been talking about the stronger believer and the weaker believer. It might be for a weaker believer, they might say, maybe my faith isn't strong enough. Maybe I don't have as close a relationship because you're comparing yourself with someone else. And we need to understand that, that God is giving us liberty to work some of these things out within each other. But let me take a step back before we charge ahead in the text. When it comes to issues of Christian liberty, we're not talking about issues, habits, lifestyles, attitudes that are clearly defined in Scripture. Like when God's Word is clear, we need to live in that clarity. It's not a matter of liberty to say that if you steal something small, it's no big deal. It's not really hurting someone. It's not a matter of liberty to say that if you've had an affair and, hey, no big deal, you know, everyone is moving on, that it's just a matter of liberty. I've heard people use that as an excuse. You know, when God's word is clear, we allow it to be clear. And I would say as God's people, God's children that want to hear his voice, we should be, we should be thankful that God is so clear on issues to guide our lives. And we should be thankful and worshipful that he speaks into the darkness and says, as you walk with him, this is how we live a life that's pleasing in his sight. But the danger comes when we careen, when we careen from either side of the Christian liberty argument. You know, those issues that aren't so clear in Scripture. Believing that either something should be a law for everyone. You know, every Christian should do this because we are convinced. Or that we can do anything at any time. Here's the other side of the the ditch, right? You have the road of what God's word says, and you have one side that it's a law for everyone. And then on the other side in Christian liberty, we think we can do anything at any time because the scriptures aren't clear and it's no big deal, no matter how it affects those that are around us. I said at our last time in the book of Romans that one of the greatest signs of maturity in the believer's life, it is to willingly lay aside things that aren't an issue for you, but might be an issue for someone else for the sake 
of their relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's really a true sign of spiritual maturity to be able to do those things. And so Christian liberty doesn't give us a license to do whatever we want, however we want, or to make everyone feel bad if they're not living up to our standard. I mean, the issues surrounding the believer's liberty have been plaguing the church since its inception. For 2,000 years, believers have been struggling with each other about these issues that God is silent on. And sometimes God is clear on something, but we revert back to a former teaching and think, well, maybe that still applies or true. Because within the context of the church in Rome, what was Paul addressing in Romans 14 as the picture for Christian liberty? It's food and drink. Food sacrificed to idols. And you had believers in this church in Rome that felt like, hey, that meat that you want me to share in, that brings me back to my pagan worship as that food was sacrificed to a foreign god. Or it was for a Jewish Christian who said, oh, I can't eat that. And even though Peter had a vision in the book of Acts where God said, rise, kill, and eat, and everything is permissible, and Jesus declared all foods to be clean, even though we have those clear teachings in Scripture, some people are brought back to that former past, and it's a concern for them. And so Paul addresses that because there are some people that say, hey, we get what Jesus says. We get what the Scriptures declare on this issue. No big deal. But Paul is saying it's a big deal if you make it a big deal for people that are still struggling with it. And so we need to walk through some of these things together. Now, when it comes to these kinds of issues, we need to be aware that not all things are the main thing. Not all things are the main thing. I mean, the body of Christ often wages war over matters that are important, but they're not critical. All things are not equal. Some examples are the kind of music we listen to. We can talk about church music. You know, should you have a cajon in the worship service? Or should it be a cappella only? Churches divide and wage war over things like that. How about the kind of Bible translation that you read? I mean, I, I've, I've talked about this before, but I've heard from people that have criticized our ministry here because we don't preach and teach out of a certain Bible translation. And my thought is, hey, we're reading the Word of God. And, and when it relates to another believer who might be new in the faith and you know they're reading through their translation and it might not be the one that you grew up with and you can think, oh no, they might be reading something that's not true. Hey, they're in the Word of God. They're reading the Word. Um, what about things on the outside of the church? Like, can a Christian go to the movies? Can a Christian go to a dance? Can a Christian play cards? How about, what do you wear to church? Do you have to look a certain way? Is it okay for a Christian to get a tattoo? 
Can you be active on Sunday, like go to work? Or go to a sporting event? Or go out to lunch? How about what kind of school do we send our kids to? Public school? Private school? Home school? You see how like these issues can come up in a body of believers and not everyone agrees on how you should respond to those things? And we can divide over it and think, well, you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you even think that? But not all things are the main thing. Not all things are equally important. Listen, all of us, in some way, shape, or form, make decisions based on these things and many others. But when we elevate our convictions to the level of the clear teaching of Scripture and hold others to it, we are dividing the body of Christ for the very issues that Paul exhorts us to avoid in this passage. When we elevate secondary things to the level of primary things and make it the normal rule for everyone, we divide. And we should have convictions. We really should. All of those examples I gave you a few minutes ago, you should have a conviction on them. You should. But none of those things come with a clear do not statement or a clear do statement. Our convictions should be rooted and grounded in biblical theology that helps us in our walk with God. When God is silent about something, let's be silent as well. Give advice. Encourage someone. But don't divide. Don't divide over things that are never meant to divide when there are so much stronger things to hold on to in the body of Christ. Don't look at other people that disagree with you in a a different way, a concerning way. uh, Ooh, I don't know. I'll pray extra hard for you. And so what does Paul do in this final portion of Scripture in Romans 14 dealing with this issue of Christian liberty? Rather than focusing on the things that divides us, Paul calls us to consider what unites us. This is good for us. Because rather than the negative things of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, he says, okay, let's go towards the things that bring us together and think about those things. And so we have in Romans 14, verses 19 and 20, these words. So then we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So then, Paul says, are you saying, therefore, 
we, that's an important word, we. Why is that important? Because this is all of us. Not just the people in Rome. Not just Paul and the people in Rome. But all believers everywhere for all time. We, Paul says, pursue the things which make for peace. And the building up of each other. Now this word pursue is also translated in the majority of the New Testament as the word persecute. That's an interesting transition for a word. But I think that word persecute kind of gives us the emphasis behind what Paul is saying here. Right? This word pursue carries with it the idea of a dogged pursuit. Like you're not giving up until the, the, the challenge is given. In the church, we need to focus on the main things, fight for the main things, contend for the main things that make for peace. But this isn't peace in the sense of staying neutral on everything, right? We, we talk about peace in those terms. Well, I'm not going to bring up this because I don't want them to know that you know, I think this way and I don't want to ruffle any feathers, right? Peace is not riding the fence. Peace is not just kind of ambivalently saying, well, no big deal. But we're talking about the peace that unites us and binds us to stand before God together as His children in Jesus Christ. So rather dividing over the list of the things that we previously mentioned or what our favorite sports team is, or um, what kind of car you drive, you know, what is the best car to own, or what's your political affiliation, or dare I even mention how the pandemic's being handled, right? We've divided over issues that are not the main thing, and it's an offense to the body of Christ and to the Lord Jesus Christ who died and shed His blood for each person that belongs to Him. So what do we do? We focus on what unites us. I mean, that isn't hard, right? It shouldn't be. Let me give you a hint what it means to focus on what unites us. He is the person that we as Christians are named after. That's what unites us. Let me say it this way. That's who unites us. It's all about Jesus. But how often do we really keep Jesus at the center of all of our relationships in the church? We, we talk about thousands of other things. Often polarizing things. We agree with a lot. We share in a lot. But do we keep our Savior at the very center 
of every relationship that we have in Jesus Christ? Do we weep and rejoice around the love of Jesus and the truth that God is close to the hurting and rejoices with those who celebrate? Do we encourage each other to see the grace of God and the humble teaching of our servant Savior as we walk this road together? And can I just say, even for me, this is hard. I have to be conscious of keeping Jesus at the center of relationships. Like, I talk to you all about a lot of different things. You know, sometimes it's a shared um, common hobby or uh, an affinity for a certain thing. And I have to consciously be thinking to myself, not because I'm your pastor, but because I am your brother in Christ. Okay, how do I bring Jesus into the center of this relationship and conversation? At home, how do I bring Jesus to the center of my home for my wife and my children? Because it's so easy to settle on lesser things. The easy things. The things that don't require a lot of faith. A lot of digging into the Word. The questions, the conversations, the, the life that's surrounded around Jesus. I mean, scan through social media and ask yourself, How am I making an impact for the kingdom? How am I making an impact for the kingdom by what what I say, what I like, what I repost, or what I don't say? I was reading an interesting article um, just a a few weeks ago, and, and they were talking about one of the many pitfalls of social media. One of the many. And, and it, was, it, it kind of stuck out to me that, and I never thought of it this way, but we're living in a world today where we think we are, are more connected with each other, but we are actually more further apart on things because we're not using social media to come together. We're using social media to kind of drift away from each other. And we make these, these points or stances, and then we're silent on everything else, and we build these camps. And, and we're dividing rather than coming together. And and I would say this, social media is never meant to be the mechanism that is to bring people together, right? God has created community in a far different way. And, And so we as the people of God celebrate that and enjoy that together as we center ourselves, our lives around the person of Jesus. But I want to encourage you and challenge you that, you know, Make an impact in, in, in your world, in your sphere of influence to those around you for the kingdom of God. Keep Jesus at the center of your relationships. I tell my kids, and I've been telling them a lot lately, um, that as they grow up, they need to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. And this idea of whoever they're around, whenever they're around them, and when I said it to Levi, he was like, Dad, what are you talking about? And I said, okay, let me explain this. When you're around people, be a thermostat. Control the temperature. Don't be a thermometer that always rises or falls depending on who is around you. 
Like, be the kind of person that sets the tone for those that are around you, especially spiritually, as you bring Jesus to the center of your life and want to share that life-giving grace to those around you. Focus on what builds people up in peace and in the Lord. And that's the, the second thing that Paul says, build each other up. We need to stop focusing on winning the debate and center on building each other up in Christ. When it comes to our liberty, we will sometimes disagree. There are convictions that I have that you don't have, and vice versa. But, the, but as we act in kind towards one another, expressing our Christian liberty, we should be willing to not lord our convictions over each other, even if we disagree. For the strong, this might be foregoing some legitimate, legitimate amoral practice. What do I mean by amoral? That it's neutral. It's not a big deal. But it might be a big deal to somebody because they're weaker and it brings them to some place in their life where it causes them to struggle. The strong should be willing to forego those things. For the weak, it could be refraining from verbal criticism and judgmental thinking when you find out that someone is enjoying or participating in an amoral activity that you disagree with. And just ask for grace and, and humility to be able to move on from that. But as we look at verse 20, we read, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean. But they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Sadly, when we get caught up in all of the issues of whether everyone should do this because I believe it or, hey, I don't care because God says it and I don't care who it bothers around me because God said it's no big deal. Like when we get caught up in all those issues that surround Christian liberty, what do we do? We tear down the work of God. We tear it down. Paul expects this church to do what is best for the weaker believers and for the community as a whole. The danger is not just offending someone's overly sensitive conscience. You know what I mean by saying that, right? Thinking, ah, oh, they're just too sensitive about everything. I mean, gosh, if I have to tiptoe around this person, and, and you think, well, that, that just seems too impossible. But maturity means that you're willing to let those things aside in that context, in that situation, for their good. Paul warns us to not tear down the work of God. This phrase, the work of God, includes the redemptive work of Christ and the work of salvation in the weaker believers. It's not to cause them to stumble. It's not to cause them to be weak in their faith and doubt their salvation. Pastor Robert Mounts sums it up well when he says this, While freedom is a right, it is not a guide for conduct. Love serves that purpose. Rights are to be laid aside in the interest of love. Now, what this means, and what I, I like how he explains this, is what Paul is saying is everything is okay. All things are clean. 
But if it's hurting someone, you may have the liberty to do it. You know, in in our country and context, we have rights and freedoms, and we hold on to those, and we think, yes, this is my right. And you might even say, this is my God-given right. Because Paul says all things are clean. It's your God-given right, and you want to hold on to that. But freedom, while it is a right, is not a guide for conduct towards each other. Love is. And so in love, are you willing to set aside things that might cause your brother or sister to stumble? Cause them to to be shaken in their faith? I mean, oh, that we would repent for our behavior concerning things that really don't matter. Paul stresses that when he says, for the sake of food. So that's been his argument in this whole chapter. For the sake of food. Yeah, I can hear Paul saying as he wrote this phrase, for the sake of food. Like I could hear him in my mind saying, really guys, for food? There are people dying all around you in their sin and you're fighting about food. Like that's what I hear when Paul writes these words. It's like we're so caught up in, in, in fighting and contending for things that really don't matter when the people around us that desperately need what we have in Christ are perishing and we're arguing over food or anything else when you fill in that blank. All things are clean. Remember, food and drink are amoral. Many of our convictions are amoral. But... While all things are clean, they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Put those things away, Paul says. Don't brag when someone struggles. The mature Christian will not do anything that can harm another believer spiritually. And then he says, It is good not to eat meat or or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now that might mean we surrender eating meat and drinking wine rather than hurting the conscience of a fellow believer. But the greater principle, not just in food and drink, but the greater principle when it concerns what liberty stands for here is that we are willing to alter our pace of walking while leading someone else in the faith. I mean, we do that as a parent with a child, right? If you have a toddler who's just learning how to walk, and you're a parent, and you hold their hand, and you're walking down the road, you're not walking at a brisk adult pace, right? Because you're going to leave them dragging behind, and they're going to be like, hey, I can't keep up. And the same is true in the spiritual life when we walk with people who are younger in their faith, that we don't hold everyone to the same standard and conviction and maturity that we might have, and we adjust to their pace. And as we adjust to their pace and show them the grace of God and the truth of God, they grow and mature in their faith, and then they begin walking by our side. Now this verse, verse 21, is in advocating the abstinence of alcohol together, altogether. Some have said in verse 21 that Paul is teaching just that. It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine. Well, then you have to be a vegetarian if you hold to the second part of that statement. It's not good to eat meat or drink wine. It's like if they say, well, hey, Paul is saying here, no alcohol ever for anyone. You can't have any meat as well. 
But that's not what Paul is saying, and that's not what God's Word is saying. Paul is calling us to not flaunt it around others. He's also calling us to be sensitive to those that may struggle with it. Whether personally, you know, let's use wine or alcohol as an example. The Scriptures declare that alcohol and the consumption of it is an amoral issue. It does. It becomes an issue when you're controlled by it. Just like food. Food is an amoral issue. Food becomes an issue when it controls you. And so when it comes to alcohol, you may be a person that in moderation can enjoy a glass of wine or a cold beer on a hot day and all those things that go with it. But what if your brother is a recovering alcoholic? It would be sin for you to flaunt that in front of them and say, hey, I'm not going to ask you to have one. I know your struggles, but wow, this feels really good right now. Or to, to flaunt it around someone who has had a bad experience as a result of it, a family member, a friend, a situation that came in their life. They may not struggle personally with it, but it brings them to a time and place where they don't want to go. And so the Scriptures encourage us to set those things aside. Maturity is knowing your audience, considering the faith and needs of others, and being willing to make any adjustments in your life to encourage them. There are some of you that I will never invite over to watch the Steelers with because I know it's an offense to you. (laughs) And it might be an offense to my wife. (laughs) Forgive me. Verse 22. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. To those who are stronger in their faith, not struggling over food and drink and the other issues that are surrounding it, the strong believer can be happy in his private enjoyment of amoral practices that he knows that is neither violating the will of God nor the conscience of a weak believer. Paul pronounces a beatitude in Romans 14. Happy is he. That's what it is. He's telling the strong that they can be confident that God is indeed blessing them when they follow their conscience and approve of the meat and the wine as they partake of them. He believes their beliefs are correct, and there is no need for him or anyone else to judge these practices. And so when someone might come along and say, you do that? Hey, the word of God is not clear on this issue. It's clean. It's amoral, and your conscience is approved by God. Now, verse 21, or verse 22, is also a warning to the weak, or at least the other side of the equation. The strong need to be careful so that they don't cause the weak to stumble, and the weak need to be careful that they do not become legalistic and judgmental if someone partakes of something that has no moral value like food 
and drink. Now, here's the issue when it comes to that whole equation that I just laid out for you. Sometimes we are people that do, um, we, we're mature in our faith and, and, and we're growing in our faith and, and we have convictions about things and we, we don't do certain things. And when we find out that other mature, growing, strong believers in Christ do certain things, we become judgmental. And so you have mature people wounding other mature people over issues that really aren't that important. And we, we destroy the work of God. We tear down instead of building up. And we become Pharisees and turn faith into works righteousness. Because we do certain things or not do certain things, and that other person is not with us. And so Paul kind of sets that aside and he says, avoid that at all costs and focus on the things that unite us in Christ. And then in verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. If a person does have a conviction of something and gives in due to personal pressure, right? This is why when I said earlier on at the beginning of my message, we should have convictions about things. You should. They should be biblically rooted convictions. If you have a conviction of something and you give in to that conviction due to social, personal pressure, then that act, although it's amoral, is sin because you violated the conscience that God gave you. Doesn't that get sticky? <laughs> like we're talking about Christian liberty and all these issues, and then as Paul wraps it up, he throws it back to us. Stop worrying about everyone else, but think about you. Whatever is done without the conviction that God has approved, it is by definition sin. So there's a lot of gray areas in Scripture. Like for me, uh, before I got saved, um, I, I listened to all sorts of rock and like, I could name all the bands and Steve would start singing with me, you know, a lot of the tunes, right? And I got saved and one of the ways that I grew as a young Christian was Christian music. I, I learned a lot about God and, and walking with him and, and, you know, for me, there are certain songs that may bring me back to a place in, in my life where I don't like that part of my life. And so I, I set those things aside and at times when I catch myself on the radio listening to a song in that place and I start humming the tune and singing the lyrics, right? Because music's powerful. You can remember lyrics to songs that you heard like decades ago and it comes back just like that. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I have to set those things aside. It's an amoral, amoral thing, music. But for me, I need to be careful God has called us to live a life of faith. Trust is the willingness to put all of life before God for his approval. Any doubt concerning an action automatically removes that action from the category of that which is acceptable. 
It's sin because that person is, ag- is acting against their God-given conscience. Conscience is not an infallible guide. It's not always right in every circumstance, but it is wrong to go against one's conscience. Now, as we close, I want to focus on the affirmative because we've been talking in these last few verses about a lot of things not to do. Let's talk about the things that affirm us. Whatever enhances the spiritual life of the kingdom in this faith community, that should be our priority. That's what we need to be about. Now, I'm not saying you're not allowed to have convictions about things, but what I'm saying is understand that not all things are equal, and not all of us agree about all of those things. We are wonderfully diverse in the body of Christ. So let's focus on what unifies us. And let's commit ourselves to keeping Jesus at the center of our lives and build each other up in his grace. And may I leave you with this one challenge. Look for ways this week to build someone up in the faith as you share the common gift of the grace of Jesus. Might be someone you're sitting next to. Might be someone that you haven't seen in a while. Might be a family member. Might be a person at school. Might be a, a coworker. Look for ways to build someone up in the faith as you share the common gift of the grace of Jesus. Let's pray.